Hello and welcome to Conversations and Community Leadership, a project from Leadership for Civic and Community Engagement at North Carolina A&T. This course is stewarded by Dr. Karen Jackson. Now, here's the show. Hello, everyone. My name is Lavelle McMichael, and I am a Ph.D student at North Carolina A&T, and I'm so excited to be here today to have this podcast with some exciting classmates and some community members around the subject of voter suppression, housing, and entrepreneurship. We have been looking at these topics in terms of social justice and the inequities that plague our community, and we've developed some questions that will be asked of our practitioners in the community. But before we do that, let's introduce ourselves. So we'll just go around the table and tell everybody who we are, what we do, and how we can contribute to this work. Great, I'm Heidi Majors. I'm the Executive Director of YWCA High Point and so excited to be here um, with you all on this podcast. Thanks for inviting me. And my name is Michael Pearson. I am a PhD student with UNCG ANT, um, and I am a researcher and a clinical social worker in private practice. Perfect. So you'll probably have to have the microphone a little bit closer, just so that so our recording can get you. And so, yeah, you might feel like you're a little close to it, but that's the only way we get to pick you up. Gotcha. And I'm Dekevious Atkinson Sr. I am also a PhD student at North Carolina A&T State University. I am also an alumni of A&T. I received my bachelor's degree in social work there in, back in 2000. I am a clinical social worker at the VA, and it's good to be here. It sounds like we need an applause for that. My name is Bradford Gaddy. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Um, I am also in the cohort with uh, Lavelle and DJ at North Carolina A&T. Um, we are glad to be uh, providing this interview today uh, so that we can inform the community. Uh, we look forward to uh, engaging with our guests, and thank you for being here. That should be crickets, but we're good. <laughs> So I'll start off with the questioning around voter suppression and really wanted to to ask both of you and you can go in any order that you want. What are the areas in your particular community that you've seen voter suppression perpetuated and, and who are those key stakeholders that are involved in that? And if there's any type of initiatives to help reduce it, if you know of any, please let us know. Well, I'll say, speaking on behalf of someone who lived in Greensboro, um, I was directing the shelter for about eight years or so. And one of the things I noticed is um, voter suppression happening with folks that are poor um, and specifically that are homeless. They may not have um, the access to um, voting ballots um, or ability to go to voting places. Um, and so that's been a major concern, I think, within that community. I would agree. In High Point, we also see the same. And in addition to that, transportation is a huge issue here in High Point for many of our um, individuals, as well as just 
individuals may not realize that their vote really counts and that their vote needs to be heard. Um, so those are some pieces there. But one thing too that all intertwines to a lot of our conversation is work, um, you know, the work opportunities. For many individuals, they may work 12-hour shifts. They may not know the availability of um, the pre-ballots and mail-in ballots. And so really it's the education process so that um, just because someone might not be able to get off of work on the day of, they still can have their voice heard before. But we also need to educate our employers to make sure that they provide the opportunity that everyone can go and vote because it's a, it's a right of us for all citizens. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and one of the things I think like, we experienced specifically, um, I think during 2016, election, elect, 20, 2016 elections in Greensboro, um, making sure that particularly wherever district that you're actually in, you actually have locations to where you can vote, go and vote um, and making sure that, um, yeah, ballots aren't just at the, um, at a youth center, but they're actually at local churches where people can specifically go and walk to. Um, I remember a conversation around um, redistricting in Greensboro um, and it being a real big issue specifically around A&T, um, and that was a hot topic. And some of the key stakeholders that were, um, I guess, pivotal and trying to address those issues were churches. Um, and different community officials who are actually in the community working with people to make sure that um, people have the right to vote. I would agree, you know, especially with the churches, there's also several groups like um, in AACP here in High Point and also in Greensboro, the YWCA. We participate in the Get Out to Vote initiatives. I know, um, you know, we've gone to several locations and community events and into the neighborhoods to get individuals registered um, because just getting registered could be difficult. Yeah, and you remind me of something. Um, what is it? In Greensboro, there's a, a consortium of agencies where 40 to 50 different agencies get together and they have conversations about important things to um, talk about, like YWCA, Salvation Army, Goodwill, WLRP, um, um, Housing Coalition, and those groups um, and entities coming together and bringing up these issues on phone calls, um, including with the um, Partners Ending Homelessness, has been really beneficial in making sure that we get the word out, spread that word, so that way um, people can come to the table and know what their rights are and when they need to vote. We also can't forget our seniors too. Um, I actually, you know, my mom during the midst of COVID was actually placed into an assisted living and when it came time to, to vote, I really had to advocate for her to be able, she was in a different com community than where I was and I had to be able to advocate for her to have that access to do that. Right, so we see so many of this, so many subtle things that really make a difference in the overall impact that voter suppression has, whether it's with our seniors or marginalized communities. So thank you both for for your responses. You're welcome. You remind me, can I yeah. add something? And, I remember and trying to talk right, if y'all could talk right in there. There's I an could, echo. Yeah. Is it crazy? It's, it's better when I hear you. Like, okay, how's this? Yeah. There's a big echo. Um, the one thing that I was going to say was specifically in Greensboro, um, when it comes to churches, I recall, um, what is it? There was uh, some issues with, what is it? Voter suppression with regard to, um, I didn't saying that some people were voting twice. Um, and so I remember a lot of um, protests 
with regard to making sure that um, everyone had the right to vote and were not being intimidated to vote. Um, and so the city actually um, was a, uh, the city council was a big part of making sure that they um, did, um, I guess, standouts outside of um, this, um, the city, um, city building um, and to make sure that the news, like I think Channel 8 or something like that, publicizing the big concern because one of the things that we don't want is people feeling that um, they're being pressured to not vote. Also, and you know, not just locally, but what we have at the YWCA, along with many partnering organizations, as you bring up the standouts, and it's advocacy. We really need to make sure that our state representatives are not bringing and pushing th forward bills that provide the anti-suppression. I mean, you know, that do the suppression of um, voting because. So many of them are just, I mean, especially for the immigrant com um, community and around driver's IDs and um, just IDs in particular, how do we push that forward? We don't want, we don't need that. And, and there was a U.S. Supreme Court, um, something back in maybe 2013, 14, somewhere in there, um, that actually overturned some of the key protective factors in the um, Voter Rights Act. Yeah, I think that, what is it, voter ID and also the fact that someone may have a felony have been really huge issues, um, specifically, I think, in Greensboro, and making sure that people have the right to vote, whether or not they, don't, whether or not they have an um, ID or not, is really important, and not letting their criminal background um, be a barrier to voting, I think, is really important. And there have been a lot of people fighting against those specific issues. Okay, thank you so much so far. So we're going to switch gears and talk about housing. And um, I think it's no secret that um, throughout the country there is a, um, a huge housing crisis, um, having issues with affordability and um, access. And so just wanted to ask you a few questions as it pertains to what you know uh, here locally. Uh, the first question is, what is the current number of individuals that, that you may know uh, that's waiting for housing in your uh, respective cities, and how is this data captured? So I'm really going to let Michael take the lead on this part. Um, here in High Point, I do, but you probably know better. I think there's something like 10,000 units that are needed. Um, I'm not sure of the individuals, but in a, a some when working with community development and housing, that's a figure that I've heard. But Michael? Yeah, for North Carolina, um, Partners Ending Homelessness, um, they do a count every year, and it's a part of the um, federal government standard, right. where there's a point in time count. Mm -hmm. um, in general, they do it at the beginning of January. Um, and for the most part, within any given night, there's about 77 um, to 100 people who are in need of housing. Um, so that's like the individual count on any given night. Um, Generally, what I've noticed is um, there is roughly less than a thousand individuals. Typically, they're in need of housing, um, and how they come up with the number for the at least ten thousand units—it's um, a really a relative number. Um, but it's it's based off that point in time count of um, what is actually needed here. But the actual need, as someone who's been working in the homeless sector, um, is a little bit bigger. It's it's a lot lot larger. Um, there are, but there's a lot of other issues around that. Um, it's a lot larger because, um, one, there could be units or vacant units that are available, but people aren't renting them. Um, um, housing could be much more expensive than what it actually really needs to be. 
um, there's an issue with people having to pay a larger or like pay three times the rent in order to actually really secure housing. Um, there's an issue with wage. Um, I know in Greensboro specifically, there's been a fight to how much do you really pay folks. For example, a lot of folks, I would say, who are homeless, they may go to a temp agency. They're supposed to get, um, was it maybe 15, maybe $12 an hour, but depending on what the policies are of that specific agency, they may possibly get less. I know there is one entity um, in Greensboro that that was an issue with. So folks aren't necessarily making the livable wage that they need in order to um, identify housing. So that would actually skew the number of um, available housing units. Um, I can probably keep going on and talk about COVID-19 because COVID-19 actually increased um, the level of homelessness among individuals and families. Um, they may not talk about how many families actually really uh, are at a lack of housing, but that number is just sometimes very difficult to count. Um, and I just happen to be privy to the fact that, what is it, Greensboro is also a part of Durham, it's also part of Raleigh, it's a part of um, Forsyth County, it's a part of um, yeah, High Point, only because there's a lot of commuter traffic in and out. And so that's another thing that makes it very difficult to actually really um, put a number on the housing um, that's needed. Um, but one of the ways that they actually do that is through housing studies, um, where you really look at, like, I guess, per capita, the number of people that are coming into the city, um, or the number of people that are actually homeless or in the shelters, um, and it gives you kind of a, a relative number. And are you aware of any initiatives that are in place in your respective cities that's addressing the housing deficiency? And if so, um, was any feedback given by members of the community? Well, I can tell you between Greensboro and High Point, I can experience, I have experience where they're actually really doing a good job of working together um, to improve what is going on um, in housing. Has that always been the case? No, it's not. It has not always been the case, but in the past few years, I would say post-COVID-19, um, I'm almost say two years before COVID-19, there was started to be an uptick in um, really the cities working together to address the issue. Um, and in post-COVID-19, there have been um, opportunities made available so that way they can do that. Like for example, money is a really big factor. Um, and between the two cities, and this probably goes into another question, but they've been trying to bring in business so that way it can change that dynamic of what's going on um, with the ability to house. Um, they've been trying to bring in, I guess, um, other contractors to help improve housing. For example, one of the things they, they did was they agreed to having tiny homes. We're building tiny homes to kind of improve the type of housing that are out there um, for people. Um, I can say specifically in Greensboro, I think particularly during the winter season, they started looking at these different mods. Um, and the mods, and I think um, Open Door Ministry in High Point, they actually did that at one point. We brought in some mods um, because it's something that's common in um, California and Utah, um, and it's another form of um, living. And then I know recently, and I know um, High Point has done this too, and I think they um, got some grant funding um, and created some bonds, housing bonds, to actually um, um, increase the number of supportive housing um, that's available, or they've taken on some grants um, to, um, 
what is it, restructure and re rebuild certain parts of downtown so that way they can um, create more livable situations for folks. I think something that's also really important when we look at equity across the board, too, is that it's it's not just about the affordable housing, but home ownership. I mean, I know that's not specifically one of the questions that you all have, but the the disparity within High Point specifically on that is is huge. Um, and so that I know within the city of High Point, the Community Development and Housing Department, they have a home ownership, first home ownership um, program that they do there. Yeah. And you actually reminded me of something, because if you actually ever do a census track data search, um, specifically for High Point, you can actually look and see what is the ratio of individuals who own versus the individuals who don't own. You can also look at and see what is that ratio according to race and age um, and, and even gender. And I think you're correct when you say that home ownership is a significant issue because that also impacts um, and historical issues um, play into that. Um, it impacts that housing because the less likely people are to own their own home, the more likely they are to experience this transitional style of living and housing not really be readily available. So DJ, that's actually a great segue because you really can't talk some of these topics, especially housing, without talking accessibility. And we know accessibility is reached through income. So our, our next topic kind of hits on economic development, and you've already alluded to some of those key factors there being wages, um, being business opportunities. Um, I'll ask uh, directly, what have you seen within your organizations that creates those opportunities, whether it's through using colleges and universities in the local area, volunteer services, um, in your case, uh, ma'am, or any other thing you'd like to share where we are doing a good job of, of creating um, opportunities through economic development? Just kind of jump in, Michael. You know, one thing to, to look at is um, back prior to COVID, there was a study with the Guilford indicators. And so that pre created that baseline to kind of look at where we were. And I think some of the um, points that you were talking about with the, the demographics were in with that. Um, here in High Point, there has been a lot of work specifically to work towards um, building the income and the to, you know, uh, decrease the wage gap and that type piece. One is Thrive, um, and it is a great program through Business High Point that works with minority business owners to and entrepreneurs to start their businesses. Um, it's one thing that, you know, to bring in new businesses and have those jobs, but we need um, marginalized communities to be able to own their jobs and to be able to lift up their income to, to create that part. And that will lead to the opportunity for accessibility and um, with housing and all of that, the other aspects there. Yeah. And I would echo that because um, I have also participated in Thrive. Um, and I think that they are very beneficial for minority-owned business leaders. Um, and also it speaks to something that's happening within the community. For example, they're linked to um, the Nesbaum Center. Um, and the community itself is recognizing the need for new type of businesses to um, come up to help improve the economic situation of the community. Um, because there was a Greensboro, and I know High Point, like they had a, was a new aviation um, um, company that came in to try to, I think, uh, how many jobs? It's, like, it's more than 5,000 jobs that they're bringing in. Um, and there are different, like the Tanger Center that's downtown in Greensboro, it's bringing in new jobs and bringing in new opportunities. Um, so those things are pretty um, helpful when it comes to 
trying to figure out how can we improve the job market. Um, I can't identify particularly with the places that I have worked um, what specifically they're doing, um, but I know that, what is it, uh, Goodwill, um, through some of their grants, they have actually engaged in research opportunities to look at different type of um, job opportunities to bring in here or to take on different type of programs, like for example, guaranteed in income type programs. Believe it or not, there's a lot of agencies that are looking at how can they use guaranteed income as a way to supplement folks' income because sometimes the jobs aren't available. Um, one of the things I know in, in participating in the City Academy with Greensboro, um, the fact that was it taxes for businesses is lower here than most areas. It, it creates a, um, an opportunity for businesses to come and invest in this community and bring jobs. And so um, that's that's a that's a massive positive. Um, yeah. And with many of the businesses that uh, Michael referenced coming in, we work very closely with many of corporations like Ralph Lauren or Thomas Bill Buses, and especially with um, individuals who are seeking jobs, we do a connection service with them, as well as we work with Guilford Works and Welfare Reform Liaison Project. Yeah, gonna say They're doing wonderful work. WLRP, they actually do a really good job. They're based in Greensboro and based in High Point, um, and there's a lot of cross-section um, traffic, and they do a really good job trying to link and working with, um, what is it, the... Um, in Greensboro, what is it called? The what is it called? Oh, the gateway, the new gateway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The Greenway. The Greenway or Gateway? It's it's the whole gate A and T and UNCG coming in together. Gateway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gateway. Yeah. Um, so they're doing a really good job of trying to work together um, to identify new projects um, that are needed within the city, um, and so yeah. I, Okay, thank you for sharing that. And I, that's a, a great reminder that education, because you have the jobs in different pockets, but the education and making sure we get those who need them to those opportunities um, should be available. Um, now we'll jump into one last question, which um, kind of serves around another disparity, uh, but it's hard to really track this one. And that's, that's being food accessibility. Um, so you've heard the term food deserts maybe uh, popularly, not popular, but used a lot in the last few years. Um, and that can involve anything behind the accessibility of healthy food or the you know, displacement of individuals being in rural or urban areas and just not having access to get to certain areas um, because some of our larger, you know, nicer grocery stores may be in different areas. Um, so what are some of the things organizations you've been involved in have seen with that? Or maybe what are some areas you'd like to see us improve even more in to kind of eliminate that disparity? Sure. Here in High Point, um, you know, when the, the statistic that none of us want to be proud about that we were number one in the nation um, for food deserts uh, back in 2016 or 17, um, we started forming a group called uh, Greater High Point Food Alliance. And they held a summit. And really, it was an aggressive summit to say, what can we do specifically here in High Point? And they had short-term and long-term goals. And out of that, we have had several different aspects that have come from our community gardens to um, advocating to bring in <clears throat> um, grocery stores in different areas and or getting convenient stores to carry healthy foods. Um, and then also 
a lot of coordination with our food um, pantries. Um, there's the Greater High Point Food app, so individuals can go on and find where that where they can get food at the closest location. Some other things that have been really neat from there are just some within YWCA, we have a teaching kitchen. And with that, we actually work with different individuals across the communities and other nonprofits. It is truly bringing in UNCG um, nutrition program, their recipes for success, Second Harvest Food Bank, um, the Cooperative Extension, many other entities that come in and educate the community about how do you eat on a budget? How do you eat with foods? How can you make healthy meals and foods with um, you know, foods that you get from food pantries? So a lot of work is going there. Now, an addition is a shared, shared use kitchen that will also not only support um, the food in the area, but that economic growth for um, business owners to have access to that. So let me just hop in here, too, because one of the things that High Point University has done is implemented Healthy Futures Vistas. So we have four vistas that work specifically with Growing High Point, the City of High Point, High Point Food Alliance, and uh, it's one more. But the Grodega mm-hmm. is is a mobile food pantry that sells fresh produce that's grown here in the city. And my church in particular, every Sunday right after church, people can walk out of church to purchase fresh produce from that, which is, and it's, if they have an EBT card, they get 50% off the purchase. Mm-hmm. So we're making healthy food accessible. So, so that's one of the things I feel like as a community, mm-hmm. High Point has really done well with mobilizing all of the food programs into one like co-op type of feed off of each other and what we don't provide, you provide. And then how do we get this to the people versus the people having to come? Cause we realize people in my community, it's not just a food desert. It's a transportation desert. Mm-hmm. They don't, they, there's no grocery store in walking distance. So knowing that we have to get them that, and it, it's been a hit every Sunday. And I think the greater high point, I mean, you mentioned it well, Grodega is amazing and they've come out to the YWCA and if we have English as second language classes, they're there for our immigrant population to be able to have access. But the other piece is, is just really a connection of utilizing the resources in the best way. During COVID, um, Greater High Point Food Alliance was able to utilize this um, coalition and, and cohort to bring in dollars where we were able to provide food boxes and um, distribute food boxes to throughout the community. And you remind me of something when we're talking about this topic. There's an individual whose name I'm going to bring up. Her name is Lisa McMullen. Um, I don't know if you know her at all. But um, in Greensboro, she um, engages in these discussion groups, um, and she started a business, I guess, on East, East Green side of East side of Greensboro, because that specific area after the hurricane was experiencing a lot of issues. It's the massive food desert. Um, and once upon a time, there was a grocery store there, but then because of affordability, the grocery store moved, um, and they, the community, uh, many community members want to address that issue um, so that way those folks get food. Um, and I bring that up, it's because um, there's a lot of community members recognizing the areas in which there are actually um, needs um, and they're finding creative ways to tackle that need. Um, and I can speak about when it comes to Greensboro, Greensboro has been doing that in many different ways. Um, for example, Greensboro Urban Ministries, who has um, had a food pantry for years, 
um, who just hand out food based on what people need. They took on a new model, um, I think a few years ago, where it's more of a grocery store style. Um, they've also um, gotten, um, what is it, um, nutritionists from University of um, Chapel Hill to come in and talk about, well, what type of foods should we serve people? Um, or what type of food should we start handing out to people? They started talk, asking for different donations for different type of foods, foods that are more organic, um, not just whatever's being left on um, the, um, whatever canned food that you actually have, recognizing that there is a need not only to, within your um, agency, to um, collect healthy foods, but then also get folks who are distributing and handing out those healthy foods to do the same. Um, in, in the same time, like, what is it, talking to grocery stores because they get the food from somewhere, um, getting grocery stores to donate for um, healthy foods. Um, they work with, I guess, because there's a lot of different um, folks who plant and grow food uh, and they donate it, um, and working with um, out of the garden um, groups so that way everyone is working together to bring healthy foods to the table or different options to the table. Um, and I think one thing too is educating people on, like we said, what should you eat and what can you not eat. Um, and in providing alternative options for folks. So those are things that have been, um, I think I've seen the community of Greensboro and High Point doing. Um, I know when you talked about, what is it, the, um, the app? Because I think that app is, is a it's little now, bit. It's now Guilford County wide. Yeah, it's yeah. Guilford County, and I think that app is amazing because what I used to know three years ago was the blue and yellow book, which told you um, all the different uh, places that you can go for food. Um, I think there's a different book that, uh, that was here, I can't remember the name of it, but I know that um, United Way, um, they have it, um, but I can't, I can't remember the name of it. If I find the name, I'll let you know. Um, but what I'm saying with that is create, making a resource um, or identifying the different resources in the community, putting them in one little book, one location, or in an app, so that way people can locate that stuff on their phone, that creates accessibility. Michael, you bring up the, the healthiness and the healthy food and all everything with that. I think a piece that intertwines everything that we're talking about is, you know, if individuals are reliant upon food pantry food, then their health is going to be based off of that. So if it's canned food, it's going to be high salt or, you know, which leads to some of these chronic diseases. So everything that we're talking about is all intertwined. And we, we have to look at to, in, to increase the, improve the equity and just reduce the disparities. We have to look at it all together. Yeah, and yeah. I'm reminded of something which is very difficult. Um, churches who serve foods. Um, churches serve foods because they want to give, because it's a blessing to really give and serve and help. Um, but I recall many private citizens or even citizens um, who serve having conversations with um, groups have been serving for 25 years, giving out food and saying, hey, can we change the type of food that we have? Um, granted, people need to eat and granted, you may only have this to give, but can we diversify our options? Um, and I can tell you that in some instances, church, some churches may not have understood the need in the beginning, but they um, actually changed up their, um, the dietary foods that they actually provided people. Get the applause for Michael for that transition. That transition sometimes, you know, especially growing up here in the South, we have a hard time letting go of some of those traditions that that fried heavy food uh, that we like to eat. So uh, definitely, thank you for acknowledging that piece, as well as what leads to chronic diseases, and of course, it's what we put inside of our bodies. So, um, Heidi, by highlighting that um, 
that selection that we make available to our citizens, that's very critical. And uh, we, we know that it starts with food disparity, but of course, like you said, everything is connected. Um, the food mart that uh, Lavelle mentioned has been a success in Gifford County because even though we highlighted High Point, exactly Greensboro as well, um, some of our other interviews with City Councilwoman uh, Hightower, Hightower, she definitely spent a lot of time on speaking of how successful that program has been for Greensboro. So um, we appreciate it. And that, of course, the east side of Greensboro, her district, District 1. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll turn it back over to you, Lavelle, for any. Uh, I was going to say, if we wanted to use crickets, tell my church that we not um, serving fried chicken and we're going to have broccoli instead. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't trying to hear that. But, yeah. No, it's, it's, I think, like you said, it's all interconnected. And this conversation has been has been rich and meaty, no pun intended, um, for us to really look at the difference. <laughs> so we just we just really um, thank you both for participating in this discussion. And was there anything that you wanted to say as we end? Um, and then I'll, I'll open it up if y'all had something to just close with. Again, just thanks for having us. I mean, it's, it's always good to have the conversations and to really just lift up the issues within our communities. And so thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. I think that when you get to look at, I guess, voter suppression, housing, and food insecurity, and try to map those together and identify how are they connected, I think that's the, it, you did a really good job You bringing us to the table. Last question. Is it okay for us to record you <laughs> oh yes <laughs> and and when we're like writing papers and talking to our classmates is it okay to use your name and your organization in this most definitely okay perfect <laughs> and michael hopefully we spark something since you're going down this new road of, of research on the entrepreneur side that maybe you know maybe something to think about that you add to um in this this kind of genre i think it would be, i think it would be good because believe it or not my um, topic is on um, servant leadership and engaging the community. So I would love to, yeah. I've already forced Lavelle to um, work with me on a few things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with it. So thank you so much. Um, anything you want to say before we close? All right. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. That's a wrap, y'all. That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I hope I gave good information. Formation of the Bonner Program to visit. Thank you for listening to Conversations and Community Leadership, a project from Leadership for Civic and Community Engagement at North Carolina A&T, with your host and leader, Dr. Karen Jackson. Dr. Karen Jackson can be reached at ktjackson at ncat.edu. You can also check out more from North Carolina A&T and their Leadership for Civic and Community Engagement programs at https colon forward slash forward slash www.ncat.edu forward slash academics forward slash graduate hyphen programs forward slash CED forward slash leadership hyphen studies dot php you can also type it right into their main website and find it at www.ncat.edu thanks for listening this has been a big mouth media production